Well, good morning once again. Uh, don't despair. Uh, we are still working on the overflow room for over here. Uh, I know it's a little packed this morning, but uh, it's a good thing. And uh, we had a few other wrinkles that kind of entered into the process of our moving forward with this project, and now I think those have been settled. And so uh, hopefully in the next couple of months, uh, we will begin to launch on our new overflow room, which will be right over here. And that'll add, I think, some 40 or 50 uh, seats is what they've calculated. And so uh, that will give us a little bit of relief in here in the auditorium, but it's so good to see everyone today. Thank you to our praise team for leading us in worship and for our parents for being such an example to us to come before us and to publicly declare that they want to raise their kids to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Well, let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 1. This morning is message number three of our exposition of the Gospel of John. And although we'll begin here in verses six through eight this morning, uh, we're going to be all over the Gospel. So just be prepared for that. I'm going to ask you to turn to a number of passages of Scripture this morning. Uh, and we want to really look to see the example that John the Baptist was as the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Well, last week, if you were with us, we looked at verses 1 through 5, and we examined the Lagos, the Word, Jesus Christ. And so from verses 1 through 5, we saw that Jesus is the Lagos, the visible, tangible expression of God. And as the Lagos, He is eternal. He is God. He is creator of all things. And He is the light and the giver of life. Not just the giver of physical life, but the giver of eternal life. And so everyone, anyone and everyone who believes on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the due penalty of their sin. You see, every man, every woman, every child is a sinner in need of a Savior. We have offended a holy and righteous God. We have sinned against His holy law, and we need a Savior, and Jesus Christ is that Savior. Well, this morning, however, we're going to concentrate our attention on the one who came before Jesus, the forerunner to Jesus, the one who was specifically sent to proclaim the coming of the Lagos, the one that we call John the Baptist, or as I like to call him, John the Testifier. So follow along with me as I read verses 6 through 8 this morning as we get started. Verse 6, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. And so really just to set the stage for what we want to consider today about John the testifier, the apostle John gives us here three foundational details about this man, John. First, we find here in verse 6 that John was personally sent by God. And let me just say that um, whenever you see the name John mentioned in the Gospel of John, it's referring to this man, John the Baptist. Now, we know the Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John, but whenever we see the name John mentioned in Scripture in this Gospel, he's referring to John the Baptist. Second, in verse 7, we find that this John was not only sent by God, but he was given a specific responsibility by God, and it was to serve as a witness or a testifier about the light that was to come. 
And then third, we find here in verse 8 that John wasn't the light. He was just sent by God to be a testifier of the light who would come after him. And so with all of that in mind, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Luke chapter 1. And you remember when we began our study of the Gospel of John, we mentioned that 93% of all of the material in the Gospel of John is unique to that Gospel But we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke that are very similar in that they cover very similar uh, accounts of the life of Jesus. And so they're called the synoptic gospels. So Luke is one of the synoptic gospels. This man, John, that we're going to consider today would have a very high-profile ministry, as we'll see. His life work, however, had nothing to do with himself and everything to do with Jesus Christ, who we learned last week from verses 4 and 5, is the light. And so as we'll see today, John the Baptist, or John the Testifier, would not just announce that the Messiah was coming, but he would actually prepare the way for his coming. And so as we began to examine this man, John the, the Baptist, it doesn't take us long to realize that there's something very unique about him in the eyes of the Lord. Look, here down at uh, Luke 1 and verse 15, the angel of the Lord speaks to Zacharias and tells him that you are to name your son John, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Well, just how great is he going to be? Well, Jesus answers that question in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11 when he said, truly I say to you, among those born to women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the greatest. Now hold on here, you might say, well, what about Michael Jordan or Muhammad Ali or Tom Brady or Wayne Gretzky? (laughs) In the eyes of God, it's not even close. John the Baptist is the goat. Think of all the great saints who had gone before John the Baptist. You have Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and David. You have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Noah. We could go on and on. Great heroes of the faith. But Jesus said that John the Baptist was greater than all of them. The words greater than in that verse that I referred to in Matthew 11 and verse 11 refers to rank. So those of you who have been in the military, you understand the concept of of rank. There's a hierarchy. There's a structure in the military. In the eyes of Jesus, there is no one who ranks higher than John. And so in the army of God, John the Baptist ranks higher than anyone else. I think a lot of people, at least I've heard a lot of people say over the years that they can't wait to get to heaven. Obviously, they want to fall on their knees before Jesus and to worship him in person. Wouldn't that you think about that and, and the, the amazing nature of that, that one day we will see Jesus and we'll see him as he is and we'll be able to worship him in person. But then you hear people say, you know, but, you know, we're going to do that and that's going to be our primary focus. But then we're going to go visit the Apostle Paul. We're going to go knock on his door at his mansion. Boom, boom, boom. Hey, would like to connect with you. Read a lot about you. Love to get to know you a little bit. We're going to spend a lot of time together. 
And there are people who be lining up to see the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, and on and on and on and on, and we can go. I think I'm going to go over and knock on John the Baptist's door. In my study this week about this man, remarkable, amazing, selfless. John the Baptist didn't write a single inspired word of Scripture, and yet Jesus says he's the greatest of all. And so the question that we want to answer this morning is what made him so great? Why was he so esteemed by Jesus? Why did he rank at the top of Jesus' list? And to find the answer to this question, we need to carefully look at four components of John's life. And so if you're taking notes this morning, let me give you these four components that we'll look at today. And they're four M's, okay? His ministry, his makeup, his mission, and his motivation. So first we want to consider his ministry. So if you would, turn your attention to verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. Verse 5, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. And so here we learn that John was the son of Zacharias and Elizabeth. And Zacharias was a priest, as we see here. He was a priest of the division of Abijah. There were 24 divisions of priests that would serve two weeks a year. Elizabeth was the daughter of a priest and the cousin of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Both Zacharias and Elizabeth walked blamelessly before the Lord, obeying the commandments of God. Zacharias and Elizabeth were married, but they had no children. Elizabeth was barren, which meant she was physically incapable of having kids. And plus, by this time, they were both up in age. So one day, Zacharias was performing his priestly duties. He was selected by lot, sort of like pulling a number out of a hat to enter the temple and to burn incense. And by the way, this was a huge privilege that only happened once in the lifetime of the priest. And so as he enters, an angel of the Lord appears to him. And we know from verse 19 that that angel was Gabriel, one of two holy angels named in the Bible along with Michael. And even though we know that angels are spirits, this angel had some sort of physical form since Zechariah saw him, and the text says that Gabriel was standing to the right of the altar of incense. Obviously, Zacharias was afraid. But Gabriel told Zacharias not to be afraid because he came for a purpose, and it's to give him good news of the upcoming miracle that was going to happen to him and his wife. 
After all of these years, they're going to have a baby boy, and they were to call his name John. And this is not going to be any ordinary baby. Verse 15 says that he will be great. Notice here in verse 15, another thing about John. This young man will be set apart for service. He will not drink alcohol, and he'll be filled with the Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And as we'll see, John would take a lifelong Nazarite vow that meant that he would never be under the influence of alcohol, that he would never cut his hair, and he would never touch anything that was ceremonially unclean. We know from Scripture that many men and women would take temporary Nazarite vows for a season of time, but the Scriptures reveal that only Samson, Samuel, and John the Baptist would take a lifelong Nazarite vow. This was a special, special miracle child that would grow up with the empowerment of God for this special task in ministry. And so we ask the question as we begin today, what was that special task and ministry? Well, we have the answer here in the text. Look at verse 17. It is he, meaning John, who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the, to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple, But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them, and he remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. And after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Well, maybe you missed it. Hopefully you didn't. But this part of the story is very interesting because when Zacharias first was skeptical as to what Gabriel the angel had to say, the Lord took away his ability to speak for almost nine months. Can you imagine? Zacharias was not sure. Gabriel came to him, announced who he was. I'm a representative of the Lord. I'm an angel of the Lord. And this is what's going to happen. And Zacharias, rather than believing Gabriel and what God said to Gabriel to deliver to Zacharias, he was skeptical about it. And so God said, okay, you're going silent. You're going silent until John is born. 
But the important part of this encounter that we see here was that John the Baptist would serve as the forerunner and testifier of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. His ministry would be to prepare the way for the, for, for the coming of Jesus, the coming of the God-man, the Lagos. And so that's John's ministry. And now second, let's consider his makeup. And for this, we need to look at verse 57 of Luke chapter 1. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There's no one among your relatives who's called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a tablet, and he wrote as follows, His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosened, and he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came on all of those living around them, and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly upon him. Verse 67, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant. And he spoke by mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, which was from the sunrise on, he will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit. And get this, he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Hey, great men have great character. When we think of someone with great character, we think of someone who overcomes adversity, someone who's resolute, and someone who's selfless, possesses the highest of moral character. John had all of these traits. So let me give you a little bit of a timeline here because this could be confusing. We're going to fast forward about 30 years. So if you would, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 11, okay? So let me, let me kind of explain this to you so that we all are kind of on the same page as we look at all these passages of Scripture. Matthew 11, beginning with verse 7. So we're going to fast forward 30 years. Now, John the Baptist, John the Testifier, 
was six months older than Jesus. So he wasn't on the earth 30 years prior to Jesus. He was, he was just about six months older than Jesus. Okay? We see here that he lived in the desert until it was time for him to come forward to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, who would come as Savior, as Messiah. So, in most of the time that these men are on, they're on the earth at the same time. John the Baptist's ministry started before Jesus' public ministry. So Jesus, we think, was somewhere around 33 years old when he went to the cross. Okay? So the first 30 years of Jesus' life, he lived in virtual obscurity. There wasn't much known about him. There were a few instances that we see in the Gospels that sort of talk about his life, but it wasn't until the last three years of Jesus' life that all of the, the, the things that we see in Scripture happened. And so that was his public ministry from the age of 30 to the age of 33. So the question is, at the age of 30, Jesus began his public ministry. When did John the Baptist begin his public ministry? And the best that I can find is, <laughs> this is a wide range, some biblical scholars say that it was only about three months prior to Jesus' public ministry did John begin his public ministry, but that doesn't equate really well with what we see in some of the passages of Scripture that give us a little bit of a hint. And so it's somewhere between three months and 30 months that John the Baptist had this public ministry that we're going to read about here in Scripture. So does that kind of help a little bit? So they were on the earth essentially at the same time. John the Baptist is about six months older than Jesus. Elizabeth and Mary, cousins, were pregnant at the same time. Uh, Elizabeth gives birth to John the Baptist six months prior to the birth of Jesus. Both lived in virtual obscurity for the, the majority of their life on the earth until the Lord gave John the Baptist the go-ahead to then go and to proclaim about Jesus. So hopefully that is helpful for you and it it will help us to understand as we move through these next sections of Scripture. So Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 7, says this, And these men were going away. Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Verse 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and all the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. So we see the, the core traits that are exhibited in John's life, right? John could write the book 
on adversity. John grew up in Luke chapter 1 and verse 80, says he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance. My dad used to say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I, I think of John the Baptist living out in the desert land because he had not yet been called by God to do what he was put on this earth to do. Second, John was a man of resolve and, and strong in his convictions. Uh, during his public ministry, which preceded the public ministry of Jesus, John had accumulated quite a following. In fact, many thought he was the Messiah. Luke 3.15 says, Now while the people were in the state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ. You see, it takes a strong and godly man to deflect the praise and attention from himself and put it on another. But, but John consistently pointed the praise to Jesus. So as I said, we're going to move around a little bit. So let's go back to the Gospel of John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we want to get the whole picture this morning. Verse 22, John 3 and verse 22. John 3, beginning with verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem, because there was much water there, and people were coming and were being baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Now, it doesn't end well for John, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But because of his resolute nature that he would not capitulate to the religious leaders of the day, he was ultimately martyred for his faith. But verse 25 says, Therefore there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with the Jew about purification And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom have you testified? Behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been set ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. And then he says in verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard, of that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life but the wrath of God abides on him. Did you know that John the Baptist is the one who said that? He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. But you notice what he says in verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. You see, their public ministries were coinciding and people were confused. They thought John the Baptist may be the Messiah. 
They thought maybe he was the one that, that the Lord would send to pay the penalty of the sins of the people. He could have easily garnered favor with the religious people of his day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. But instead, we learn from Matthew 3, 7, that he stood up to them and he called them out on their sin and their hypocrisy, and he called them a brood of vipers. He said, you Pharisees are a bunch of snakes. Wow. Well, that statement and others ultimately landed him in prison. But John knew his task. He wasn't about to violate his convictions. And so John could write the book on adversity. John was a man of resolve. He was strong in his convictions. And third, John was a selfless man. It wasn't about him, and he knew it. John one twenty seven says, It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Matthew 3, 4 tells us that John wore a, a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt about his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. No Fritos. No good stuff. This is totally a Pastor Davism, but we had folks over for dinner the other night, and I said, do you ever notice everything that ends with O's is good? Tostitos, Fritos, Doritos, Oreos, and we could go on and on and on and on. He didn't have any of that. He had locusts and wild honey, but he was an authentic messenger of the Lord. He didn't fit the mold of the religious leaders of the day. He didn't look like them. He didn't dress like them. He didn't eat like them, and he probably didn't smell like them either. But it's obvious to me that John didn't care. He didn't care what other people thought of him. And I think this is one of the big things that keeps Christians from being all they can be for Christ. They're too worried about what other people think about them. They care more about what others think than what God thinks. John wasn't caught up in fitting into a mold, and we shouldn't be either. He was a selfless man with a specific mission. Which brings us then to the third component of John the testifier's life, and it is his mission. You see, John's mission was to bring a message. John was a prophet. The prophetic office started with Moses and extended all the way up until the Babylonian captivity. But there was a 400-year prophetic break in Israel until John the Baptist came onto the scene. John MacArthur says this of John the Baptist. He said, you could call him the valedictorian of the Old Testament prophets. He was the most dynamic, articulate, confrontational, and powerful spokesman that God has ever called. As the last of the prophets, his calling was to both announce the coming of the Messiah and to declare his arrival. When Donald Trump was president of the United States, I had a friend who worked for him, and his sole job was to go ahead of him to pave the way for a visit. And so all of the different uh, venues that the president would go to and all of these different uh, opportunities to share, my friend would be sent ahead and he would make sure that everything is set up, everything is perfectly set up for the president to be able to come. He was essentially the advance man for President Trump. John was the advance man for Jesus. 
His mission was to proclaim the coming of Jesus Christ and to call all men to repentance. So go back to Matthew real quick here. We're winding down, but Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1 says this, Now in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, for this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So his message was to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, the kingdom is coming. The king is coming. I'm here to proclaim to you to repent of your sins and get ready for the coming of Jesus. John no doubt knew why Jesus was coming. Jesus was coming for a specific purpose. John had a purpose. His purpose was to announce the coming of Jesus. But Jesus was the Messiah. He was the one that the Old Testament prophets had foretold. He was coming to do what no other person could do. You see, the difference between John the Baptist and Jesus was Jesus was God. He was sinless. John was a sinner. He couldn't provide redemption for anyone. He was a faithful prophet. He told people about the coming of Jesus, but he was a sinner just like all the rest of the people. But Jesus was different. You see, the the 33 years that Jesus lived on the earth, he didn't sin one time. Not in word, not in thought, not in deed. And so he qualified himself to be the perfect sacrifice, to die in the place of sinners. And let me just say to you today, if, if you are here today, look around, because the thing we all have in common is that we're all sinners. Okay? Now, the difference may be that most of us in this room have recognized our sin before a holy God. And we have cried out to God and we've repented of our sin. And we've said to God that we we need to be saved from our sin. Please forgive me of my sin. I've offended you. You're holy and righteous and perfect. And I'm not. And I recognize that. God has opened our eyes to his truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the one to come and to take away the sins of the world, all who would place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you have not repented of your sin before God, you are lost. You are headed to a Christless hell, a real place called hell. It's real, just like heaven is real. Hell is equally as real. It was John the Baptist who said, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You can receive eternal life by coming to the end of yourself and recognizing your sin before a holy God and repenting of it. And John's message was to repent. Jesus is coming. Repent now. He knew why Jesus was coming. Repentance means more than being sorry. Repentance means a change of mind that results in a change of action. It involves godly sorrow over sin. But that sorrow leads to a change of the will and a change in conduct. Repentance is always a change from wrong to right, from sin to righteousness. 
And so in preparation for the coming of King Jesus, John cries out to the people to change from their selfish, evil ways and turn to the ways of godliness. John said in Matthew 3, 2, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The, the people needed to be right spiritually because the king was coming. Not everyone could enter the kingdom of Christ, only the repentant, only the converted. John's mission was to spread the message that all men must repent, confess their sin, and acknowledge their need of a Savior. He stood firmly against the religious elite, and he called men to an authentic faith. And John had an immediate impact. Look at verse 4. Now, John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But we find in later accounts that many who had claimed to have repented and were even baptized by John, they hadn't truly repented at all. Their conversion was superficial. It was false. And for the record, John's baptism signified that they had repented and embraced the true message of Jesus Christ and His coming. The baptism didn't save them, just like baptism doesn't save today. It just served as a public identification with John's message about Jesus. And this leads us to the fourth component of John's life, with, which culminates in his motivation. Wherever John the Baptist went, there was a strong reaction. And everyone knew who he was. Yet ultimately, the message that he came to proclaim to the Jews was overwhelmingly rejected. You can just listen as I read John chapter 1, beginning with verse 19, and we'll consider these words even more as we continue to move throughout this gospel. But John chapter 1, beginning with verse 19. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent him to, to, sent him to, sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem and to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, well then, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, well, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet had said. Now when they had sent from the Pharisees, they asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you who stands one from whom you do not know, it is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am unworthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him so that he might be manifested to Israel. I came baptizing in water, 
And John testified, saying, I have, been the, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this Jesus is the Son of God. And so John gives us his ultimate motivation in verse 34. He proclaims the name of Christ because he's fully convinced that Jesus is who he says that he is. He had seen Jesus. He'd personally witnessed his glory. But what about these curious questions that John receives in verse 21 and 22? What's the basis for their questions? Well, Malachi 4.5 says that Elijah would return to the earth before the time of judgment. And so in that passage in John 1, we find the question being asked, are you Elijah? And John says, no, which is true. He was not physically Elijah. But if you remember the passage that we began with in Luke 1.17, the angel said to Zacharias that John will go as a forerunner before Christ in the spirit and power of Elijah. So was John the Baptist the Elijah that was predicted in Malachi 4 and verse 5, or was he not? And I think the answer lies in our understanding of the words of Jesus in Matthew 11, verses 13 and 14, where Jesus said, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he, meaning John himself, is Elijah who was to come. Now that might seem complicated to us. But let me simplify it for you. I think it's clear that John the Baptist was the Elijah that was prophesied in Malachi and foretold to Zacharias in Luke chapter 1 and verse 17. And as I said, Luke 1.17 refers to John as the forerunner who was in the spirit and power of Elijah. So he was not the literal Elijah. He was Elijah-like. He was like Elijah. And so Jesus' point in Matthew 11 and verse 14 was that if the Jews had believed John's message was from God and that Jesus was the Messiah, then John would be the fulfillment of the Elijah predicted by Malachi. But if they refused to believe John's message, another Elijah-like prophet would come one day in the future. But because the Jews rejected John, as the true Elijah who was to come, they prevented the complete fulfillment of the prophecy as God had originally given it through Malachi. So another prophet like Elijah is yet to come before Jesus sets up his literal kingdom. So after John had been imprisoned and killed, uh, Jesus spoke of the Jews' rejection when he said in Matthew 17, verses 11 through 13, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. Well, it's no secret that I'm a big sports fan. It's really my only hobby. I don't have any other hobbies. I don't fish. I don't hunt. I don't run, obviously. Uh, <laughs> So really, my only hobby is uh, being a sports fan, watching sports. And because of that, I love to travel to various ballparks around the country. And I, 
added up this week that I've been to 17 of the 30 major league ballparks. So I'm, I'm past half, but I've got a long way to go. Just a couple years back, we went to visit some friends in Cincinnati, and we went to the ballpark there. It's called the Great American Ballpark. Any of you been there? Cincinnati? You ever notice that the word great gets thrown, a lot, thrown around a lot these days? Oh, that's great. How you doing? I'm great. Everything is great. And so, because of that, I asked myself the question, what am I great at? So I look back over my life. I'm not trying to be spiritual here. But the only thing I could come up with was that I'm a great sinner. And because I'm a great sinner, I'm in need of a great Savior. I think about Hebrews 4 and verse 15. It tells us that Jesus was tempted in all points as we are, but He never sinned. You see, the discussion of greatness is relative, isn't it? Jesus used the word great to describe John the Baptist, but compared to Jesus, he wasn't great at all. And so I think we need to ask the question, did John the Baptist pursue greatness? Did he pursue greatness? I don't think so. I don't think he ever even thought about it. Never are we instructed in this life to pursue greatness for ourselves, but to pursue holiness In fact, Jesus said in Luke 9.23 that if anyone wants to come after me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And when the subject of greatness came up, when Jesus was with his disciples, he told them this in Matthew 20 and verse 26. He says, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. You see, greatness in the eyes of God is different than greatness in the eyes of the world. Greatness in the eyes of God is love and humility and service. It's not found in being first. It's found in being last. It's not being the master, but the slave. John was referred to as great, not because he was anything special, but because he recognized that his God was special. You see, John lived his life to bring his his God the glory to make Jesus famous and not himself. He was filled with and controlled by the Holy Spirit. He was obedient to the Word of God. He was temperate in all things. He was selfless. He was humble. He unashamedly proclaimed the truth of God's Word. He was faithful in leading others to Christ. Folks, we need to get back to the basics of what God's Word has to say about what we're to be doing as Christians in this life. There are people that need Jesus. Do your neighbors even know that you're a Christian? Do the people in your family know that you're a Christian? How about the people that you work with? Do they know that you're a Christian? I mean, that's a first start, first step, right? How are we going to be held accountable in the workplace if the people that work with us don't even know we're a Christian? John lived his whole life, this guy, John the Baptist, lived his whole life for Jesus. That's it. He obviously didn't care what he looked like. He wore some nasty things. He obviously didn't care what he ate because he ate locusts and honey. We're so concerned about the superficial. We're so concerned about what other people are going to think about us. We're so concerned about status. We're so concerned about what our neighbors are going to think. 
what other people are going to think. And we lose track of the fact that we should care about what God thinks. What does he think about you? What does he think about your life? Are you pursuing greatness for yourself? Or are you pursuing the great God of the universe in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? What a testimony this guy is. So you can line up at the Apostle Paul's door, and you can line up at the Apostle Peter's door, and I'll be there eventually, but I'm going to go over here because I want to hear what he has to say. I want to find out what in the world did you do in the desert for 30 years? What did you do? Sleep on a rock? All that, all of that for Jesus. And we can't even come to church because we got other things to do. We can't give our money to the church so that we can do ministry in the church because there are other priorities, you know. We're saving for a new car. Well, you have a 2021. Yeah, but it's 2022, Pastor Dave. We need a new car. You see, we have all these priorities in our life. And I look at a guy like John the Baptist, how many people are going to be knocking on his door? What a testimony to us today. Think about it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for what an amazing testimony in the life of this guy, John the Baptist. I mean, he lived his whole life for Jesus. Everything he did was for Jesus. He wasn't perfect, but as we see in Scripture, everything he did was so that Jesus would increase and he would decrease. He came to pronounce to the people that they're to repent because Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. He was the great herald, the great ambassador for Jesus. He was Jesus' advanced man. And yet, we look at his life and we go, ah, he was odd. Strange guy, yeah, odd. And yet we hold all these things to be so important. What did Jesus say? Oh, yeah, he may have been odd, but he's the greatest servant I ever had. So maybe we can get our lesson here this morning from this man's life that all the things that we hold near and dear to our hearts aren't that important. What's important is that we proclaim the name of Jesus We live our lives for Him. We honor You with our lives. So Lord, may this be a wake-up call for all of us. All of us today. That we too would live a life of dedication like this man, John the Baptist, who gave his life up for Jesus so that Jesus could come and give his life up for us. We thank you for what Christ has done for us. Thank you for sending him to do what we could not do, which is to pay the penalty for our sin. And Father, I pray today, if there's someone here in this room that has not yet repented of their sin and trusted in Jesus Christ and in him alone for their salvation, I pray that you would open their eyes to this truth that we've discussed today the mission of John the Baptist. I pray that you would save them 
from their sin and that they too would live their lives to be able to proclaim the name of Jesus all of their days. We thank you and we praise you this morning. In the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous. Amen.